0: Mark chapter 14, and I have a embarrassing personal story to share to introduce the message tonight. But before I do, I have a few announcements. Uh, the potluck, what time is that next week? Okay, you, hey, you might have said that, but 6.30 for the potluck. Some of you came in a little later, so 6.30 if you want to do potluck next week. It doesn't even have to taste that good. Just come and bring some food. The fellowship would be good, right? So, uh, Also, I need to be better about inviting you all to come to church. And if you have a church, you should go to that church. But I know that in the past, some people feel like UCF is their church. I just want to tell you, UCF is not your church. We're not church. We're a group of young people. And you need to be worshiping with people who are younger than you and older than you. So, uh, if you're looking... You come join us here Sunday mornings, and we have a Bible study with the college students in the UCF house, the fireplace and coffee. Uh, we don't even charge you for that experience. <laughs> it's at nine thirty at the UCF house, so late in the morning, nine thirty. Uh, that's late for me, so uh, you're welcome to come join us. Now you're ready for the embarrassing personal story, right? That introduces the message. It has to do with the blood drive. Anyone given blood lately? Does anyone faint when they give blood? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, at least I thought. Uh, when I was studying at Duke University, not too long ago, I would get emails every other week because the Red Cross would bring blood drives there. And it was about two years ago at the time when I got one of these emails, and it occurred to me that, that giving blood in order that others may have life, I mean, that is just fundamental to the gospel giving blood that others may have life we should do this as Christians of course I need to give blood so I'd given blood before a handful of times but I was all the more excited on the basis of the gospel to go out and give blood at the Red Cross blood drive Uh, but I should point out that this was the most demanding and stressful season of my life up to that point I was pastoring a church I was going to school full-time I was in this doctoral seminar at Duke that on our blackboard, our readings on blackboard, it far outside, far exceeded any other class's readings on blackboard. It was just an extremely stressful time, but I need to give blood. So I show up this day to go give blood. It's actually on the day of this terribly stressful doctoral seminar I had like 300 pages from the Greco-Roman world to have read by that day I show up I haven't slept much at all I've had lots of coffee I don't know what I had to eat if anything I just I show up and, and the female volunteer it's important that she's female because what she asked me she, she says so are you giving just a pint or would you like to try a new technique we have and give two pints and what I heard was so are you going to give just one measly pint of your blood or are you going to be a man and give two come on (laughs) are you a man or are you not a man that's exactly what I thought she said to me and you know for me I'm thinking well of course two pints (laughs) come on I mean I I can handle that sure two pints I'm in for that added as though I wasn't worried or nervous about what it would mean to have two pints of your blood drawn out of your body and I actually spiritualized my machoism a little bit at that point Uh, you know Jesus gave all of his blood for me (laughs) I can give two pints For someone else in some hospital somewhere. So I fill out the paperwork and then they take me to these machines that are noisy and loud. And they hook me up, right, to this machine. And I'm trying to act as though this does not bother me at all. They they do something like they take your blood out, two pints, but they recycle your plasma and insert it back into your body. And apparently this is safe or something. So, So I'm sitting there and they hook me up. And it's only like big guys who are there lined up on these tables. And I, I make conversation with this one guy. He was a professor at Duke. So, uh, so what do you teach here, sir? Well, I'm in the such and such department. Are, are you a student? Yes, sir. I'm in the Divinity School. That's great. Do, do you have a family? Uh, yes, sir. I, I have a wife and two kids, and I'm going to pass out now. <laughs> And so he cries out for the nurse. The nurses come, and they, they, one of them grabs my legs and they, they point my legs up really high up in the air. And the other <laughs> runs the machine like she's by the switch. Do I cut it off? We don't have a pint yet. Do I cut it off? And I'm sitting here thinking, uh, uh, the, nope, just not even one pint. Not yet. Do I cut it off? And the last bit of strength before I just go, I say, uh, I guess so. And then I, I drifted out for a second. Um, Are you a man or not? I'm just hearing that girl at the booth. (laughs) Uh, I had little sleep, skipping on my meals. I don't know how many hours I'd slept the day before. But I passed out. When I got my strength back, I said, uh, did you get at least a pint? And the lady, she was like mad at me. Nope. (laughs) Not a pint. And we can't use anything less than a pint, so we're just going to throw your blood away. (laughs) What? A failure. I I couldn't even get one pint of blood. And as strong as my convictions were that day, I have to tell you, I've not given blood since (laughs) to my shame. But here is the lesson (laughs) that I learned from that. Uh, Though I may fail in my giving of myself to others, Jesus has not failed. in his giving of himself... On behalf of others. You know, a lot of people use this language, and I'm uncomfortable with it. Uh, I want to be Christ to others. I want to be Christ to you. I'm just, I'm a little nervous about that. And and I know what they mean. Uh, I want to be a vessel through which Christ works in the lives of others. And I, I do want that, of course. But, you know, I can't be Christ to you. And I want Christ to be Christ to you. He can do that quite well. And a lot of times, as a minister, if you, I mean you struggle often with wanting to be so much to the people to whom you minister, and this was a good reminder to me, in a comical way. Look, Andy, I've done the work that you can never do. I've given what you cannot give, what you lack capacity to give. And all of us, we're just we're naked, blind, sick, sore, we're needy, we're empty. But Christ is all in all. When we are weak, He is strong. And tonight, we're going to look at a scene when Jesus makes a commitment. He commits a donation of his blood, his body, for weak and miserable failures. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we just cannot be here, Lord, and not hear from you tonight. Your words are that precious. We can't live by bread alone, but by words that come out of your mouth. So let us hear your words words that are not from You tonight, we ask that You just obliterate them, whether they come from me or come from our own thoughts or come from some other Spirit than the Holy One. Tonight, what what we ask that Your words tell us and communicate to us, Lord, are the, the words about Your love, about Your Gospel. And I ask You, Lord, that We would leave tonight astonished by your grace for us. In your name we pray, amen. Mark chapter 14, we're going to begin reading in chapter, in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And they were reclining at table and eating. As they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful. And to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them you will all fall away for it is written and he quotes from Zechariah here I And they all said the same. Last week, we read about Jesus and his first visit to Jerusalem. And we saw his protest in the temple. Tonight, we're going to move from the temple to the table. The move is from a public space to a very private and intimate space. All those enthusiastic crowds we saw in Mark chapter 11, when he enters the The city of Jerusalem, the shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of of our father David. All that excitement and that joy and that exuberance, that nationalistic fervor, it's not here now. The crowds have dissipated, and now we find Jesus with the twelve. In the opening of our passage, Jesus is on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He's about to enter the city again. And just as in chapter 11, he sends two disciples And Aaron, it it sounds very similar to last week. Just as he knew that these two disciples in chapter 11 would find a tied-up colt at a gate, he also knows that the two disciples here in this chapter, they're going to find a man carrying a jar of water. And and that would have stood out because that was a woman's job. Seeing a man carrying a jar of water would have been a bit strange. But the the point of these two errands that Jesus sends these disciples on by twos. The point of this is that Jesus knows exactly what awaits him in this city. And yet he still goes there. He knows the cult's going to be by the gate. He knows there's going to be a man, not a woman, carrying a jar of water. He knows these things. He also knows that he's going to suffer and die on a Roman cross. He, he is fully aware of the spit the insults and the gore that await him he could have gone the other direction but he stays the course and he did that for the disciples and he did that for you and he did that for me and remember that we're trying to get as close as possible to ground zero here while we're going through these passion areas we're trying to get as close as we can to the ground to see what was happening to taste it to smell it to see it And each night here at UCF, we want to jump back to these scenes in and just outside of Jerusalem to get as close as we can to Jerusalem in the late 20s AD. What was going on then on these busy streets that Jesus sends his disciples out into on this errand? We have to recall the timing to mind. This is just before the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread, which opens with the day of Passover. Jerusalem, as we talked about last week, it would have been swelling with pilgrims from all over the population of the city. Anywhere from sixty to 100,000 or so, it would have tripled, quadrupled possibly even in size. The streets are just bulging with people. They're everywhere. And we talked last week about the, the sense of festive excitement over the holiday or holy day of being together with family, of being all in one place with a huge, enormous crowd of people. We've also talked about that sense of potential violence that was in the air. Because the Passover commemorated God's great deliverance of Israel from the oppressing pagan nation of Egypt. And as these people are coming to Jerusalem, they're seeing the fortress Antonia, the Roman fortress... Now the current oppressing pagan nation that rules over them and they're thinking about how God delivered them once and he can deliver us again and riots used to break out during Passover. Violence would happen. So all this energy is in the streets into which Jesus sends these two disciples on their errand. And this timing is very important for Mark, verse 12. He tells us, this is the day when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Ran three o'clock in the afternoon. This would begin to happen. The slaughtering of those lambs in the temple. If you look at verse 17, we read, And when it was evening, the sun was beginning to set, He came with the twelve. So Jesus is walking in the city when lambs are being slain in that temple that He protested and called obsolete in Mark chapter 11, just a few days earlier. The sacrificial smoke, all right, as the sun is setting, that sacrificial smoke is rising from the temple. It's likely he would have been seeing this. The temple was in a very prominent and high location in the city. People are pouring up the streets and alleys to the temple with money in their purses to buy a lamb there or bringing their own lamb that they actually have with them, bringing that lamb, that Passover lamb up to be killed by the priest's. Others are leaving the temple with the carcasses of the lambs that they brought. Listen to the bleating of the Passover sheep on the streets of Jerusalem as Jesus is walking to this upper room. And think about the gruesome side of people carrying the carcasses of the lambs that had been slain. Going back to their place of lodging, the upper room somewhere, the tents they'd set up outside the city so that they could roast that lamb and eat it with their loved ones. So as tens of thousands of people, as tens of thousands of people carry these lamb carcasses through the streets, as gallon after gallon of lamb's blood is poured out in the temple, as Jesus is smelling the aroma of lambs roasting over makeshift spits all across and around the city streets. As this happens, he knows he is the ultimate Passover lamb, the lamb of God who will give his life as a ransom for many. Sensing and experiencing these things, Jesus is walking through the streets, these busy streets, making his way to this upper room, And he enters into the door and he hosts his closest companions at their own eating of this Passover meal. You know, it occurred to me today. Jesus and his disciples would have had a lamb. Someone would have taken the lamb, had it sacrificed. And it's there with them. So we've moved from the temple last week, now to a table. We've moved from the busy streets to an intimate supper setting. And we we don't need to miss the sense of intimacy at a meal. You know, sometimes I may call one of you, hey, let's try to meet for lunch at some point. I wish I did that more often. I wish we could do that more. Every now and then we can have students over at our house, man, and I try to host people every now and then at our house. But it was such a much more intimate occasion in the ancient world. To have a meal with someone, this was something amazing, something really special. Uh, you notice there in verse 18, they're reclining at table and eating. They would, they would actually lie down and prop themselves up on like a pillow and an elbow and sit at a table that was much lower, about this high. You know, you see Jesus and Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ and he's building this table and they can't, can't Some people want to sit at chairs at these things. You know, it's strange to them. They would sit at these small tables. They wouldn't sit. They, they would recline. Think of how relaxing this is. Think of how intimate it would be to lie with a group of people together, relaxing around a meal. It's a very intimate setting. And eating with someone in the ancient world. This, uh, who you ate with signified who you were. It communicated who you were. Sharing a meal with someone. It was like binding yourself to someone in fellowship. It was like pledging allegiance. Pledging your friendships to someone to eat with them. To break bread with someone was, uh, was just to communicate loyalty to them. And this is why it's such a scandal when people see Jesus eating with tax collectors. A leper, earlier in chapter 14 in Mark. Sinners, women from off the streets, anonymous women, people don't really know who they are, they just know, oh, it looks pretty scandalous. They sneak in off the streets and anoint his head or his feet with with oil or perfume or with tears. That's why it's so scandalous because table fellowship was so important and so intimate. And here in Mark 14, Jesus is sharing the intimacy of the table with His closest confidants, His closest companions. It's a sweet moment. And then He disrupts the meal with an announcement. Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. I hold everything. I just picture all the chewing stopping. You know, someone having a cup raised, it just locks us up a minute. Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Who's going to betray him? One of you. One who is eating with me. One who is sharing the intimacy of the table with him. And they began to be sorrowful. We read the next verse. And to say to him one after another, surely not I. They're struck with, with grief over the announcement. A traitor is in this room. A saboteur. An informant. Any of those in the room tonight? There's likely a great deal of suspicion among the disciples. Eyeing each other. I mean, think of how awkward this would be suddenly. One one of you. And then they'd... Surely, surely not I, they're saying, as they're surrounded by all of their friends. Surely not I. The Greek construction here uh, expects a negative answer. Oh not, not me. I mean, come on, Jesus. You know I'm with you. But the fact that they ask the question shows there is a bit of skepticism. Maybe. No, I'm, surely not I. Imagine this. One who is eating with Jesus, sharing a meal with Him, dipping bread with Him. One who is eating with me. One of the twelve. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. One of you, see how Mark is carefully presenting the words of Christ emphasizing the painful the hurtfulness of this betrayal. How close a confident this is. And we know who it is. Mark's told us, chapter 10 he's told us about Judas Iscariot and maybe we should spit at the sound of his foul and traitorous name. We know it's him. We've heard about his secret little meeting with the chief priests and the scribes. And Mark painfully must remind us when he talks of Judas that he is one of the twelve. The emphasis is so strong that this is one in that intimate circle. One eating with me. One of the twelve, one of you. One who's dipping bread in the dish with me. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. But let's not absolve the other eleven too quickly. Jesus certainly does not. Surely it's not I. And He doesn't answer them. Oh, oh no, Peter, don't worry, it's not you. No, John, no, 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 don't worry. He does not alleve their sorrow too quickly. He allows them to linger in the pain of that uh, very introspective question. Surely not I. Surely not? And this is one of those genius moments where Scripture beckons us into the actual story. We find ourselves being called to ask the same type of question. Surely not I? One of you, someone in this very room, one who claims allegiance to me, surely not I, are you so sure? Jesus allows the question to linger. Now look down at verse 27. Zechariah informs so much behind what's going on by these passion accounts. It's a good thing to study, especially 9 through 14, the latter half of that that book. He cites from Zechariah, gives the disciples some more sobering news. You will all fall away because it is written, I will will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, that's, that's a shocking enough statement to make. God's saying He will strike the shepherd. He was pleased to crush him in Isaiah 53. But the emphasis that uh, we need to place tonight is on this. You will all fall away. Surely not I, all of you guys, are going to abandon me. Not me, says Peter. He speaks up, of course. (laughs) And listen to the self-righteousness behind Peter's voice. Even though they all may fall away, I will not. I wonder what they're thinking about him, you know, as he says this. Even though all these punks back here are going to fall away from me tonight, not me, Jesus, I'm with you to the end even if I have to die with you. Peter, within hours from now, you're going to to deny me, not once, not twice, three times, Peter, you're going to deny me before the sun rises in the morning. And this word deny has shown up before in the Gospel of Mark. It only appears here in Mark chapter 14 and in Mark chapter 8. Peter is confessed to Jesus. another interchange with Jesus and Peter, Peter has confessed to Jesus, you are the Christ. And then he says, yeah, yes, and I will suffer and I will die. No, no, Lord, you don't understand. You've apparently not read the Bible very clearly. You're misunderstanding your mission, Peter is telling him, You don't need to die. Get thee behind me, Satan. Then he tells the crowd, if anyone wishes to follow me, remember Joel preached on this a few weeks ago. If anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Peter is having a hard time with a Christ who ends up crucified. He wants a successful Christ, a popular Christ, not a crucified Christ. How well are you doing with a crucified Christ? This is the one we're following. He ends up dead and tortured on a cross. You doing okay with that? Peter will deny on this night, not himself, and take up his cross. He will deny his Lord who gets sent to a cross. But Peter's not the only guilty part, guilty one of the party, is he? We know that, uh, and we'll see this quite soon, we know that all the rest of them flee the scene in Christ's greatest moment of need. So here's the table fellowship that Jesus shares in Mark 14. Here's the kind of company He's keeping. One who will betray Him, another who will deny Him, and another ten that will fall away and abandon Him. What a bunch of failures to share your last meal with. What a failed project, this multi-year discipleship program Jesus has been leading. He's surrounded at this table by farewell their friends at best, including one who's going to betray Him and one who's going to deny Him. And yet, to our shock, He says, get ready to be appalled, by the way, he actually says to them, Take, this is my body. Here, this is my blood. Pour it out for many. Read through this again with me. Verses 23, 22 through 25. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing, After blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. We read that He took bread. He offered a blessing. He broke the bread and He gave the bread. Now, flip to chapter 6 for a moment. Jesus has hosted two other meals in this gospel that have the same pattern. Taking, blessing, blessing. Breaking, giving. Look at chapter 6, verse 41. You'll find this familiar. One of the greatest miracles. This is the only miracle actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. Chapter 6, verse 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Now flip over to chapter 8, verse 6. Listen once more for this pattern. Taking, blessing, breaking, giving. Chapter 8, verse 6. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having offered a blessing or a thanksgiving, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. Taking, blessing, breaking, and giving. What we just read from chapter 6. This is from the feeding of the 5,000, of course, right? And remember how many baskets they took up? How many were left over? 12. Did someone say 12? I hope so. All right, 12. (laughs) The feeding of the 5,000. 12. The number of the tribes of Israel. This whole miracle takes place in Jewish territory. Jesus has come to fulfill the messianic salvation for which Israel longed. Then in chapter 8. Do you remember how many baskets they took up left over them? It's a special number. My daughter's favorite number. 7. Yes. A number of fullness, of completion. And this miracle takes place in Gentile territory. Jesus has come to complete the promise to Abraham to bless all the families of the earth, meaning the Gentiles. And in the Gospel of Mark, understanding what Jesus does with bread is key to understanding who He is and what His mission is. He is frustrated with the disciples in chapter 8 because they get in a boat and they realize, oh, we don't have any bread with us. What do you mean you don't have any bread? Do you not see what I did? With the five loaves, did you not see what it did with those seven loaves? What do you mean you don't have any bread? The bread is on the boat with you. Understanding what he does with the bread is key to understanding who he is. And here's what is happening Jesus has come to provide that which will nourish and give life not only to the Jews but also to the Gentiles to give his life, as Mark tells us, as a ransom for many. And that mission of ransoming us, that mission is completed in his death and subsequent resurrection. This mission of Jesus is to offer his life as a sacrificial Passover lamb to ransom, to buy back sinners. And just as the blood of the first Passover lambs smeared over the the the, the doors of the Hebrews' homes back in Egypt, just as that blood protected them from the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, so the blood of Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, prevents our own death from sin. The firstborn son of Pharaoh died that night back in Egypt. But Jesus, the only Son of God, will bear Himself the plague of wrath, of death, on Golgotha. That the wrath of God may pass over us. This is the mission of Jesus. As he hosts these three meals. Taking. Blessing. Breaking. And giving. Giving. Giving himself. To us. His body and blood. Poured out for, for whom? Not for heroes. Not for champions. But for cowards. For Failures. While we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Back to Mark chapter 14. He's reclining there before his inmost circle of friends. One of whom will betray him. One of whom will deny him. All of whom will abandon him. And he says to them. Take. It could also be translated. Receive. To you who will deny me, Peter, to the other 11 of you who are going to fall away, who are going to abandon me, who will flee the scene, I say to you, take. Take. Receive it. Are you a sinner tonight? Take. Have you looked at internet porn this week? Take. Have you committed sexual sin this week? Take. Have you mocked your friends this week? Take. Have you stared at yourself in vanity this week? Take. Have you been self-righteous like Peter this week? Although all these other people may let you down, Lord, I won't Have you been so foolish and self-righteous this week? Take. I am appalled by the people Jesus allows in to His table fellowship. He lets me in. Can you believe that? You should be shocked at that. I am a scandal, a disaster, and I'm allowed at His table. Take. Jesus says to them, after he says they're all going to fall away, he says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. If you're familiar with Mark's gospel, he doesn't really recall a reunion of the disciples with Jesus. In Mark chapter 16. We'll get to that. We don't really know if the disciples get back together with Jesus. Except for the hint left here. I'm going to go before you to Galilee. And this go before you, it's not temporal. It's pastoral. It's not, i get there at three, you'll get there at four. I go before you. It's pastoral language. the language of a pastor that is a shepherd. This is how, what a shepherd would do. He would go before his flock. It's a failed flock. But he says, even though you all will fail me, we're going to be restored. I'm coming back to you, you bunch of failures. Take and eat. I'm coming back to you. Take. It is important to point out that Jesus loves us without condition. I've hung out with some people this week, and I'll tell you, they're sinners. And while they were hanging out with me, they were hanging out with a sinner. His love is unconditional for us. And those who need that love most are those most likely to flee from. To hold her at arm's length. Like my daughter, remember I shared with you. She's in trouble, sometimes she resists me when I seek to be restored to her after she's been disciplined. And I think God leads me to just wrestle in there and get my arms around her. So don't resist this love tonight, but don't come with a cheapened view of the grace God extends to you. Take But do so very carefully. Asking yourself the question. Is it I? Looking in your heart. Seeking repentance. And so to prepare us to come and receive. And to take of Christ's unconditional love. We're going to. Have a time of responsive. Reading. A time of confession. Where we corporately walk through this together. Confessing sins to Christ. So uh. If we can go and have that on the screen, I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. This is our preparation for this Passover, this meal. I'll read the part that says, Leader, you read the part. Reading all. And after this, I'll have a time of silent confession on your own before the Lord. And then as failures and sinners, we will take. O Lord, You alone can save. So hear our confession, we pray. We look to You, O Christ, who became poor that through Your poverty we might become rich. We look to You, O Christ, the true light who enlightens everyone. So we look to You, O Christ, the bread of life whose body is true food and whose blood is true drink and in whose presence is fullness of joy. to You, Father, for grace, to You, Spirit, for strength, and to You, Christ, for newness of life. Hear our confession, O God, through Him who reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I want to ask you to remain standing, and uh, the staff's going to join me up here as we get ready for the elements after a time of silent prayer, you can come to either side over here and just break off a piece of the bread. I'm calling to mind how Jesus broke the bread and just dip it in the cup, symbolizing His blood. Take and eat. Bow with me as we pray. And during this time, I ask that you give the specifics to God for which we gave the generalities in our reading. Oh Jesus, we do pray that you would convince us of the ugliness of our sin and that you would expose it. But God, I also pray that you would convince us of the great depth of your love from which nothing, not even ourselves and our sin can separate us. So give us grace now as we come and as we take. In your holy name we ask this prayer. Amen. You are invited to the table of Christ.